Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. So much like Michael and myself, uh, the weather is trying to kill us, but you cannot kill us. We are here to do a podcast, uh, even despite going from like 32 degrees to 80 degrees back to like 45 degrees. Uh, we are both questionable for the rest of the show, but you cannot kill us. Just like the Nashville Predators cannot be killed. The zombie apocalypse continues uh, after the team has scored 18 goals and three wins, six points in four games. Since we last spoke, they destroy Florida. Um, uh, of course, they somehow survived some bizarre match with Vancouver. And then, of course, they dominate San Jose uh, in out in San Jose on Thursday evening. That's 18 goals, but extremely costly. So we're going to get into this without Ryan Johansson. Yusuf Parsonen also injured now. Uh, there's trade value that's sort of starting to come to light as other moves are made around the league. What does that mean for Matias Ekholm? Uh, should we be moving and talking about Tanner Janot as a trade chip? Matt Duchesne's value. I've got, we've got the deadline coming up in a week on Friday at 2 p.m. We'll have a reaction show for you next Friday, as well as our regular episode. Um, just three games left to go. Uh, still in fifth place. Still well out of the playoffs. Um, Philip Tomasino doing really good things. Why is it just now happening? An Ellie Tolvin in conversation. So lots of stuff, lots of joyful conversations today on the pod, Michael. That's what we're known for. <laughs> That's a man of a man of many words, Michael Gallagher. So lots of fun stuff to do on the show if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> if you're a sadomasochist. Um, uh, before we do, however, Michael, tell the good folks who is the primary and title sponsor of this amazing Gold Standard podcast. That would be Jaspers. It is. It, it's it's still Jaspers, man. It's still Jaspers. Doesn't change, just like it's, the Preds power play. <laughs> Although they did score a goal against San Jose on the power play. Um, thanks to I believe Philip Tomasino, right? Uh, was he part of that one? Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember. It was late. Um, Jaspers is the spot, man. Uh, there are three games left until the deadline, and we don't know what's going to happen with this team. We both have said many times on the show uh, what we think should happen with this team, and we'll do a little bit more of that. But this is going to be more about. Um, some of the some of the pieces and some of the decision making and who's to be blamed for some of that decision making a little bit more on the show today. Um, but you can still watch the team and you can still watch them at Jasper's. Uh, you're still going to get ten dollar uh, burgers. You're still going to get three dollar beers. You're still going to park for free. You still have a game room where your kids can go play so that you can watch the game with your friends or your spouse. It is an exceptional place to go watch sports, including hockey on Sundays in particular. You get two for ones. I know a lot. Not a lot of Preds games on Sundays. But two for ones, me and the wife go all the time. The kids go into the game room. They're six and almost five, basically six and five. And they entertain themselves with ski ball and air hockey and shuffleboard. And the wife and I can just like sit and have a relaxing meal. So um, just an awesome place to go watch games. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, all right. So they did beat a bunch of shit teams. Let's let's point that out. OK, um, <laughs> sorry to be abrupt here, but <laughs> but San Jose is not a good hockey team. Um, I, Florida right now is out of the playoffs, tied for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, but not technically in the playoffs currently right now. Uh, Vancouver, they had a two goal lead, of course, with a minute seven to go and, you know, shat themselves. Um, look, it's 18 point, It's 18 goals and three wins. It's six points. It keeps the zombie predator hockey team alive for the playoffs, but they are still very much out of it. But the question is, at what cost, Michael? And are the hockey gods trying to tell us something with with the bizarro scary stuff that's happened that's happened to Ryan Johansson, Yuso Parsonen takes a weird cross check that doesn't even look like a weird hit, and he doesn't look like he can. I don't know if it's a lung or a collarbone or a shoulder, but he can't even like move. He has to go. He's he's out. So who knows how long? Forsberg is still out. Carrier still out. Although both of them were on the trip. Um, what did you make of this week, Michael? With eight with eighteen goals and six points, but at what cost? What did you make of this week? Yeah, I mean, um, certainly if you're if you're a season ticket holder or a diehard fan, you're you're pretty jazzed about three wins in four games. But like you said, came against Florida, Vancouver, San Jose, and honestly, you should have lost that Vancouver game because they deserve to. Um, and and I feel bad for the for the fans that are wanting change because I feel like David Poyle, this is what he does. He he holds on to the glimmer of hope of stuff like this, and I think they can maybe beat Arizona. Pittsburgh's kind of up in the air; they're still fighting for a playoff spot, but they're kind of falling out of it a little bit. Then they have Florida, Chicago, Vancouver, Arizona again. And it kind of it sucks because the trade deadline is on March 3rd. And the Predators theoretically could could go on a streak here and win three or four or five in a row. And then you're you're not looking at really getting into the heart of your schedule. The teams that you need to be good against and beat. 
Los Angeles, Winnipeg, New York, Buffalo, Seattle twice, Toronto, Boston, Pittsburgh, all coming down the, down the stretch at the final end of the season. So, yeah, by the time the trade deadline rolls around, the Predators may be in the playoffs and may technically be a playoff team. And David Poyle may look at that and be like, well, I can't sell right now. And we can have a discussion whether that's the right avenue to go down or not. But I feel like I feel like we've done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're realistically, you're seven points out of third place in the central division. You're five points out of the wild card. And not only are you five points out of the wild card, but you're chasing Seattle and Colorado. So you need to be on your game and you need both of those teams to be average or below average to even have a chance of catching up. I think we've already beaten this horse to death. I don't think this is a playoff team right now, but I mean, it, three wins in four games, give the fans something to feel good about, I guess. And if, if Parsons out for an extended period of time, we already know Johansson's out. Maybe you call up Luke Evangelista. Maybe you call up Igor Afanasia. Maybe you call up somebody to get the fans excited to see. Maybe you call up, I don't know. I don't know who else is in Milwaukee that isn't on the roster, main roster right now, but give the fans something to be excited about. I think if you called up Evangelista, and I don't know if he's going to fill Parsons' role or not, but I think he would be exciting to watch. And you give the you give the fans a glimpse of what's what's to come in the future. I think that's if you're if you're a seller, or even if you just stay pat and you know you're, you're kind of like okay, we're just going to coast the rest of the year because we're not making the playoffs. I say you start calling up some young guys, get a look at some of these guys that you have in the pipeline, and see what you have in them. That's what I would do. So what's what's fascinating? I I I mean, listen, I I agree. I don't think we can have any more conversations about you and I and sort of our opinion on the big picture strategy. And David Poyle has already said he's not a buyer, so thank God about that. But again, we're we're you're five points out. You've laid it all out here. How many? Here's a here's a question for you. They they have won twenty eight games at time of taping in fifty six games. They've won twenty eight of them. How many of them have come against teams in the Western Conference? who are in the playoffs currently right now today. Do you have any idea? I would say five. Very good guess. Four. Oh, they, I they have too much credit. They have one series win, essentially. <laughs> they, have one, they have one series win, essentially, in what amounts to an entire season against, the, um, I mean, I guess two-thirds of a season, I should say, uh, against the Western Conference. And let me make sure, I'm going to go through this just, just one more time just to make sure that I've got this correct. Yeah, I think Calgary Calgary is the only team they've beaten multiple times that's a current playoff team. And, and well no, Calgary's not a current playoff team. Well, aren't they tied for the No, that no, Colorado is the oh, last wild card. They're, they're one point behind, my bad. I, I didn't Calgary know. is not currently a playoff team. Minnesota okay, they so I retract my statement. They they beat Minnesota and again at time of taping. Uh they beat Minnesota on November 15th 2 to 1, okay? That's that counts, right? Uh, let's see, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, they beat Edmonton 4-3 in overtime at home in, in mid-December. Um, still scrolling, still scrolling, still scrolling, still scrolling. They beat Los Angeles 5-3 at home. Uh, something in common here, all three of these so far at home. That was uh, late January. And then they beat Winnipeg the very next game. Remember we talked about that was one of their best stretches of hockey there, right? Going into the break. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's it. That's it. Those are the only four games they have won against playoff caliber competition in the Western Conference. Now, they have beaten Calgary. They beat St. Louis. And two of those four wins came after their their infamous meeting. So, yes. And two of the four came that week, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, so, I like, again, the, the, the first of all, just the Johansson thing is is just freakish, right? And when you yeah. see something, when you see something that freakish happen, that's that crazy, like, listen, I don't believe in, like, I, I don't know where the hockey gods rank am, amongst, like, the football gods and the sports gods, like, are they all one set of gods in, like, one place? I don't know. But when you lose a player of that caliber, of that importance, one of the best, probably the best face-off man on your team, at one of the best talent, most talented centermen on your team, if not your top center, truly, on the team, but by, by all intents and purposes. And it, and it happens in that way where apparently like what, like a, a blade cuts his leg and he's got to be rushed to the hospital. And like that is freakish stuff. It's terrifying. It's scary. But isn't there a message there somewhere? It, aren't the guy like it, it, and then you in the in the process of giving up a two goal lead with a minute seven to go against a terrible team? Like like to me, the gods are trying to tell you something at that point. And I don't. And then you lose Parson in the very next game. And sure, you scored a bunch of goals. And you feel like you may still have some glimmer of hope. And to your point, you don't want to steal that from people who are still clinging to potential playoff success or a spot in the playoffs. But we just laid out what would happen in the playoffs. 
They have four total wins all season against playoff teams in the Western Conference. What makes you think, without Ryan Johansson, anyone else they may trade, that this team, even if they do go on a miraculous run over the next three games or five games or six games past the deadline, that they are going to win more than four games, that they can win four games in a series of seven. They've had 56 yeah. tries. They've had 56 games and they've won four Western against four Western Conference playoff teams. I think the hockey gods are trying to tell David he needs to pray more because he's clear whatever <laughs> he's doing is not is not working. And look, if, if say this team somehow sneaks into the playoffs with Ryan Johansson missing the rest of the year, it's still entirely possible Philip Forsberg could be out another three or four weeks. We don't know when Alex Carey is coming back. Like, even if they still somehow manage to get into the playoffs, I, I, like you said, they've they've had four wins against Western Conference teams that are currently in the playoffs right now out of 56 tries. Like, I, I don't feel confident that they could win maybe one game. I don't think they, they're winning multiple games in the playoff series, even if UC Saros is playing as well as he has. And, and that's the thing. Ryan Johansson is a big injury to this team. And I don't have the numbers. I, I was keeping a running tally last year because there was this big debate about Trade Ryan Johansson. He's not a first-line center anymore. He's not good for the team. The numbers show and support that this team is significantly worse with Ryan Johansson out of the lineup than they are yeah. with him in the lineup. Yeah. I don't know what the exact numbers were, but I think it was something like they score like 2.3 goals a game with him, but they're they're at like three goals a game or three 2.3 goals a game without him, and they're scoring like three goals a game with him. Like the defensive numbers are a lot are a lot better when he's in there too. Like he's the type of player that he makes a difference whether or not he's showing up on the score sheet. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's, you can't understate how important this injury is to, is to the team. So again, it, it just, it sucks for him. One of those freak things, the reports are he cut his, his leg on, on the blade of a skate and it, was, it had to have been pretty deep because he had to have surgery on it and stuff like that. And you just feel bad for the guy because he, it seemed like he was playing a little bit better the last couple of games. And like I said, he, he's very important to this team as is Philip Forsberg as is Alex Carrier, as is Yusuf Parson. Like, you're, you're, you're barely a playoff team with a full lineup. You can't. There's no way you're a playoff team down three or four of your top players. I completely agree. And again, Ryan Johansson could probably play 22 NHL careers and never have that accident happen to him. And, and that's how flukish and freakish that type of incident is. And I'm, that to me, that is a sign from the hockey gods that, that it's over. The, zomb- the, zo- the, the, the Predators zombie that is wandering around Nashville, moaning and groaning, needs a bullet to the back of the head. Okay? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it's, that is a sign from the gods that the season is over. Uh, to, be f- to be fair, it's not 56 games, of course, against playoff competition. We, all, we both know that. Uh, they've, yeah. lost the, they've lost the other 14 tries. So they're 4-14, four and 14, which is a very John Heinz-ish type of record, by the way. Uh, four and fourteen against Western Conference playoff teams currently in the standings, of which they are significantly behind in terms of points. They're at least yeah. three straight wins behind. They have to win three straight games to even just catch Colorado. And if Colorado does nothing, and what, now what's and crazy now. is this is this situation right here: being down top players, going through adversity, battling injuries, needing to call up some of your young prospects to fill out a lineup. This is why John Hines was reportedly hired. This is why they fired Peter Laviolette and they went out and they got John Hines. Excuse me, because this is this is where where coaching shines. This is this is an area where Mike Vrabel would still go on and go on a three or four game win streak, even though he's playing 90 something players in a season. This is where this is where coaching needs to shine through. And I don't think John Hines is capable of that. Last year, we saw glimpses of that because they were dealing with a lot of stuff last year and they still had career years out of a couple guys. And they still ended up making a run at the playoffs. But this this is where coaching needs to make a difference. When you don't have your best players, when you don't have a full lineup. And I, I don't think us as the media, we don't have confidence in this coaching staff. And you, you have to wonder what it's like in that locker room if they have confidence in the coaching staff either. Because it was, what, two or three weeks ago when I was told by a couple of people that that John Hines was losing the locker room. They were kind of starting to tune him out, which is why the meeting happened. Because they needed, they needed something right. to kind of shake everything up. And you wonder if if this is where things are going to start to get ugly, like they're either going to win some games and they're going to stay in it, or it's going to go really bad really quickly. Those are the only two outcomes I see happening here. Well, and if you patch if like, again, hockey's funny, cause you can always kind of go, you can just kind of pick your sample size of the schedule and say, look, they're X, Y, and Z record or they're X, Y, and Z record, right? Like you can just always do that with hockey. Um, and, and again, that, like if you want to go from the meeting until today, you could say, all right, 
they they've won they've, they're seven and four or seven and eight or eight or sorry um let me that's that's all very terrible math uh by me <laughs> one two three four five six seven they're seven and four since the meeting okay all right um but then they came back from the break and they completely wet the bed and lost three out of four and and we're getting blown out more importantly by the good teams uh, again the only loss in this stretch since our last show was against a good team now they played well in that game ish four three loss to Minnesota on the road but again I. I I don't nothing. I don't feel like through these three games, like the only thing that's changed in my opinion, <laughs> and it's maybe not even changed through this last week, is just it, it solidified the idea. Um, and we're kind of transitioning topics now, so go to Jasper's, everybody. It solidified the idea in my head that there, there, there is no reason why Philip Tomasino hasn't shouldn't <laughs> has not been on this team. He was brilliant on a line with Cody Glass. And and Mikhail Granlund against San Jose. Uh, Granlund scoring a couple goals and Niederreiter scoring a couple goals, by the way. Really good for the trade value. Just throwing it out there. You want to put those pieces in the best position to add value to their trade prospects should you want to move those pieces or accept phone calls on guys that could be could be traded. So putting putting Mikhail Granlund and Nito Niederreiter in positions to score and, and create offense a week before the deadline, I do like that. Um but I couldn't help but think two things watching that line play. Man, it sure would be fun to watch Ellie Tolvanen with Cody Glass and Philip Tomasino. <laughs> and we'll get to yeah. who to blame. We'll get to who to blame for that. But, I mean, Tomasino is is clearly a... I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that he didn't be- benefit in some way from, from being really good in the AHL. I'm not saying that he didn't benefit in some way from that. He's clearly a, a, even just a slightly bigger, stronger, more more physical player, more confident player. I, I, it's very clear that he is capable of playing in the NHL. Like his skills, the 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 pass to Granlund on the give and go, entering the zone where he goes right around a guy. Like more than a more than a few times against San Jose, did I think he was clearly better than the person he was going up against, who is a full time NHL player he was playing against. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's very clear that he belongs in the NHL to me, and I don't. I, I, what what is the reasoning behind all of the back and forth and up and down the last week and a half? Do you have any idea why they're doing that other than just paperwork and some cash? I mean, I think that's what it is. If he's on the NHL roster for a certain number of days and he's not playing, it's costing them money. How much money they're actually saving, who knows? But like, I think it was what Monday night they sent him to Milwaukee on paper, and then he was back up on the roster Tuesday morning or something like that. It was just weird stuff going on with that and i mean who who knows what's going on with them they they've done it a couple of times where they'll send a couple of Milwaukee players back to Milwaukee for a day or two call them back up <clears throat> excuse me i think a lot of that is just if you're on if you're on an nhl roster it's going to cost you more money than as opposed to being on the ahl roster and I, I i will say this about tomasino i do think he's here to stay for the rest of the season obviously with all the injuries like there would be no reason to send him back down yeah. But I do think when they call him up, it was viewed as like, okay, we're calling him up and he's here to stay. Because I'm sure David Poyle was tired of Joe Rexroad on, on the radio asking him, when are we going to see Phil Tomasino every week? <laughs> and I mean, look, the guy had, was it 12 goals, 32 points in 38 games with the Admirals? He's got, what, a goal and four points in six games with the Predators. He's playing at a, close to a point per game level at both, at wherever he's been, AHL and NHL. And I don't think he's going to you know, be a point per game player necessarily with the Predators, but he's playing like that kind of a player. I mean, it just makes you wonder why he wasn't brought up and and wasn't here at the beginning of the year, especially last year. For a rookie to have 11 goals and 32 points while playing primarily on the fourth line, I feel like that's pretty damn impressive. And I know John Hines went on his famous spiel where he's like, the NHL is not where you develop, the AHL is, and they said he had a bad training camp, and that's why they sent him down. I, I'm not buying that. I think they wanted to make room for the Kiefer Sherwoods and the Cole Smiths and whoever else they had they had starting on, on the opening night roster, and it came at the expense of Philip Tomasino because you could send him to the AHL. He doesn't have to go through waivers. He's, right. he's young, and he's on a two-way contract, and that's what it was. And I know Gover said on It's All Your Fault um, that he had a, a source in Milwaukee say that they were – they were, were waiting for him, for Tomasino to kind of come in and take over games. And that's why he was stay, staying in the in the AHL, because they were waiting for him to kind of hit that, that part where he just ascends to the cream of the crop. And it didn't really happen. But, I mean, point out, Milwaukee's pretty loaded. They have a lot of talent there. It's kind of hard to stand out when you, you're playing with 
Luke Evangelista, Jimmy Huntington, Igor Afanasiev, and players like that. So I, I think, I don't know. I don't know well, what, their, that, well, what but, the deal is with them. And I understand that basic philosophy on how to develop a player, but like, do you need to be the Sidney Crosby of the AHL before you're eligible to play for the Nashville Predators with the worst stinking offense in the NHL and the worst power play in the league? Like, yeah, well, I mean, like, how well did that work like, out for Daniel Carr a couple years ago? Well, right. I'm just like, I'm again, I'm not even disagreeing with what Gover's saying or even the philosophy about, again, I want to see him take over games. and be, But like, does he have to be the AHL's Connor McDavid before he's capable of helping a team that is scoring 2.7 goals per game with the, one of the worst power plays in the league? So oh, I absolutely just, not. It, I mean, he, he proved that last year, too. He uh, 11 goals and 32 points playing on the fourth line. Three power play goals, nine power play points, three game winning goals, 111 shots. I mean, I thought that was a damn good rookie season. I don't, I don't know what the the rest of the coaching staff was looking at. Well, so I, I think because, like, I Tomasino and Tolvanen to me are sort of inextricably linked because of their pedigree at the same time in the system. And sort of like the 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 talk about the two and the skill sets and how good they both could be, and some of the flashes we both we saw from both of them. And again, like it is inexplicable why Philip Tomasino took this long to be put into the NHL lineup. It is inex it is still right now today inexplicable that Ellie Tolvanen is not on this roster. It it is it it there is no excuse. There's no there's no explanation. David Poyles kind of already said. Oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but like there is no reason. And if it's all John Hines fault, fine. I, I don't really care who who's to be blamed. If it's some David Poyle and mostly John Hines, if it's all John Hines, if it's half and half, I, I don't really care. Honestly, the point is, is that Ellie Tolvanen is playing on a playoff team very well right now. Philip Tomasino is helping carry your team through injuries, fighting for a playoff spot. There is no reason that these two players with the development of Cody Glass, which is a wonderful development, they called it the top line last night on the broadcast. They called that line the top line. You're telling me that you wouldn't want to see Tolvin in with those two and just see what those three could do over the next, oh, I don't know, 15 years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the frustrating thing for fans, too, is, yeah, good for you, David Boyle. You said that was my fault. We probably shouldn't have done that. You owned up to it. You've taken accountability. That's just one step. How about a reason why? How about you come out and say he wasn't playing, he wasn't getting any minutes, you know, we wanted to send him to Milwaukee, we hoped we could, you know, somehow squeeze him through, which they, they said, but I don't really no feel way. like they believe. No way. He like, was I, I think fans want something to direct their anger at. Like, it's okay if you come right out and say, you know what, he just didn't fit into the lineup the, with based on the players we have and, the, and the, the offensive philosophy that we run with. That's that's a nice way of throwing John Hines under the bus, I guess. But there, there was no reason why. No, Nothing was ever made about, well, we just didn't see him fitting in long term. We couldn't find power play time. Like nothing like that. It was it was always just like, yeah, that was my my mistake. And you look at him. 24 games in Seattle, 10 goals, 15 points, Don't do this. 54 shots. Like it's just crazy. You, you look at when he first came up with Nashville in 2020. He played in 40 games that year. 11 goals, 22 points, 65 shots. We've done we've done this. We've done this. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just saying with a kid that young and that talented, how could you have not know, found a place on the roster for him? Are you really telling me Zach Sanford and Kiefer Sherwood and Cole Smith and and everybody else that you ran through this lineup? You're telling me Ellie Tolvanen was not better than any one of those guys? No, I, I again I think the horse is dead, dude. I think we've beaten it sufficiently, and I think you're absolutely right. It sounds like you blame John Hines more than anybody else for that situation with Tolvin, and I think that's probably fair. Oh, that um, absolutely was John many... Hines' fault because David Poyle would not have just put him on waivers if he thought that he was going to be able to find something for him. When John Hines, and I've said this before, when John Hines, when a Poyle, when a player gets in John Hines' doghouse, that's pretty much the end of it. David Poyle was kind of forced. What was he going to do with him? He wasn't playing. He was a healthy scratch. He's costing them money. The only thing to do was to put him on waivers and hope someone doesn't claim him. He's he has 50. He's averaging 15 minutes of ice time per game. He has 54 shots uh, in 24 games. You know how many shots Cole Smith has in 50 games for the Predators? Seven. 52. <laughs> 52 <laughs> shots. Yeah, Ellie Tolvanen has more shots. Um, then Cole Smith's had the entire season. Um, I, I just, to me, watching Tomasino shine, not a surprise. 
did some of that is the reason he is playing well right now because he got some extra time in the AHL. I'm willing to acknowledge that that's a possibility, but don't tell me he could not have helped this team earlier. And don't tell me that Ellie Tolvanen doesn't belong on this roster. Like just if there, if that is, if it is in fact coaching, that is the reason Ellie Tolvanen did not stay on this team. That is almost a fireable offense in and of itself, not to mention all the other things we've talked about. And and again, it's not personal. John Hines is a perfectly wonderful person. Um, I enjoy communicating with him any, the, the rare few times that I've had a chance to talk with him. I just think I just, I, if, if it's on Hines that, that Tolvanen is in Seattle, not Poyle. Um, I, that 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 could be have long-reaching effects for the franchise, and it just it's hard to yeah. look at it's hard to look at the last week and not think about it. That's all. It's not. It's like we can't just continually harp on Ellie Tolvanen for the rest of our lives. Like we have to move on. It's like we can't keep looking at the ex-girlfriend on Facebook. Okay, we've got to move on. But like when you move on, Kevin Fiala, an extremely talented, skilled forward. You at least got something back. You, you, you know. There's other times that they've moved on these players, moved on from talented young pieces, but they've they've gotten things in return for them. And so, um, again, it's just completely. It's still just mind boggling. And watching Tomasino play, I was like, man, you know what? And I texted you. I was like, man, sure it would be nice to see twenty eight, eight, and twenty six together right now, and watch watch those three grow and develop together for the next few years. Oh my god, it'd be fun to watch. So. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the part that that stings the most is you didn't get anything for him, and you you basically you wasted your your first round pick in the 2017 draft. Yep. Um, all right, so go to Jasper's everybody to cheer up your cheer yourself up after that fun conversation, or to drown your sorrows with three dollar beers for home and road Preds games, ten dollar smash burgers, free parking, great game room. The menu is awesome, and it's got a bunch of cool new items on it. So go check that out. Uh, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you about those yet. Um, also, special thanks to Jasper's for putting together just an awesome soup at Soup Sunday to, to promote our kids, which is an event that, that I've been a part of at our kids, which is a charity here in Nashville taking care of Middle Tennessee children. Um, they they did a heated hearts soup, Michael, which was a like a creamy vegetarian soup with like spicy artichoke heart and like shredded cheese on top. It was freaking spectacular. It was delicious. So. Uh, special thanks to Jaspers for showing up and supporting the kids of Middle Tennessee. And it's why you should go support Jaspers. Uh, again, free parking, awesome food, great place to watch the game. Speaking of value, not getting anything in return for Ellie Tolvanen, let's talk about some trade options here for the next week before the trade deadline. So there is still time for David Poyle to do the right thing here and uh, put this zombie hockey team to bed, put them to rest. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you're watching The Last of Us, but I'm watching The Last of Us with the wife, like just... You got to go double tap to the head at some point with zombies and you just got to put them out of their misery. Um, and there's still lots of time and potentially some trade options here. We're going to get to Tanner Janot, which I am now coming around on, which I can't believe I'm saying because I really love watching him play, at least for the first half of last season. Um, Matt Duchesne, I think, is a, a, a topic of conversation. We'll get to Matias Ekholm as well. Um, let, let's just let's start with Duchesne and. Uh, there's been some stuff floated around on the internet, and I know there's it, it's from some like credible hockey like kind of analysts, but it's all opinion based. I I think that this is your week to trade Matt Duchesne. I I don't think you're going to have a better opportunity. He has, his no his limited no movement clause kicks in next season. He's coming off. He still has that career year last year that you can use in negotiations. He's having a pretty good streak here of the last what 20, 25 games or so. He's been pretty productive. Um. I to me, even if it's a dump for like a second round pick, something of that caliber, or maybe you're using it, you're giving somebody that piece in exchange for a bad salary that they want to get off your hands because then trading Duchesne's eight million gives you space to take on a big salary as a potential value for some other team. So maybe you take on a bad salary, you get rid of Duchesne, and you take on a couple of picks. I, to me, this is not talked about enough. I still think he's a good enough player to get something in return, not a lot because the contract, but this is the week to do it. Cause I starting in the off season, it's the stats aren't going to look as good. The contract will look a little better, but he can start to control where he's going to go. This is your week to try to move Matt Duchesne if you want to do it. Right. Yeah. And I think this kind of came to light, I guess, uh, Sarah Sivian for, for Bleacher Report asked for fans submitted trade proposals and she would grade them. She also used to cover the Carolina Hurricanes, so she has a lot of insight into this particular one. Um, 
someone said Carolina receives Matt Duchesne. Nashville receives a 2023 first round pick, a 2024 second round pick, and Jack Drury, who is Carolina's fourth uh, number four prospect. And she kind of went through and explained a little bit. She gave the final grade a B minus. She said, it's a realistic package, but you can only give up your 2023 first rounder once. So Hurricanes should choose wisely. But she also laid out the fact that they're in the middle of their cup window. They're desperate to, to finally get over that hump. They're really trying to find the center depth, that, I guess, that works. Uh, Matt Duchesne fits really well with what, what Carolina runs offensively and the kind of system they have, stuff like that. You know, the $8 million salary is kind of what would be what would scare them away potentially. Right. But Carolina, from what from what Sarah said, Carolina, there there's a way that they can make it work. Maybe Nashville eats a little bit of the, of the salary to, to trade Matt Duchesne. I think if you're offered a first round pick for Matt Duchesne, regardless of if it's just straight up for that pick or if there's anything else extra included, you take it because <laughs> it, it took all of what, two years for David Poyle to regret signing him to that contract. You've been trying to get rid of this guy for the last two years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just think like now, like you said, now is the time to do it. And, and the point of the trade deadline is teams are so strapped for cash and stuff like that, that teams are desperate. Like the teams that do have cap money, they're desperate to get deals done. This is one of those times where you can take advantage of Carolina's desperation to get that top center to make a playoff run. I think they might overpay a little bit for him just because they would want a player like that. But yeah, I think if you're offered anything of value, or a future value for Matthew Shane, you take it, especially if you can clear his $8 million off the books without having to eat any of it. Well, I see. So I, I think what would happen is you'd have to eat something. I think the, the deal that I, the, the numbers and the lines now he's had 25 points in the last 28 games, 11 goals, 14 assists. He's been playing well. He had his career year last year, which we all know is kind of an outlier. Um, I think you eat 2 million and you take a second round pick and you, and you say, okay, let's do it. I, yeah, I, that's, that's I, not a bad that's not a bad trade package, especially in a draft that you're hosting. I would do it. And I think you're going to have to eat some of it. I don't think four million is appropriate, but like maybe two million per year for or maybe again, I don't know what the number is exactly that would get the deal done. I don't think he's worth nobody's giving up a first round pick. No one's giving up a first, a second and a player. So let's just kind of that's a fan fan suggested idea for a reason. Um, but I think a reasonable trade offer for Matt Duchesne would be all right, Nashville, how much salary are you going to eat? We'll give you a second round pick. Uh, and maybe a maybe a toss in prospect or something, but I think I think that's the key. Now maybe you have to take a player from them that they don't want from a salary perspective, whoever that team may be. Again, that could also be of value to a team. So if you can find a team that really needs a center that has the space, but also a contract to dump and a draft cap, a, a, a draft pick to trade to you, you might find a partner. But the key is now is the time coming off a career year, playing really well in his last month and a half, two months. Since the middle of December, he's been red hot. Teams are desperate. You're out of it. And the no movement clause kicks in next year. It is the time. You do everything you can to move Matt Duchesne, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Or you find a you find a team like and Adam kind of pitched this on, on the radio this week. A team like Boston who was looking to get rid of Craig Smith as $3.1 million salary. So they threw in draft picks to make it work. Maybe you 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 send Matt Duchesne to to another team. They're giving you a draft pick, like a second round pick, and you take on someone on an expiring contract. At the end of the year, you part your ways, you get a draft pick for it, and you get rid of someone who is eating up a large chunk of your salary cap. Yep, I, I I agree. And and again, some of the reason is that you are at the dead halfway point of his contract. You've already and like the base salary for him was ten million twice already, eight million, and then eight million this year. It's nine, six, and five over the next three years. It's and modified. Eight, no movement clause kicks in next year, and that and that's a that would be a concern for another team acquiring him. But the AAV is still eight. the The key is is that you only have three years left on the deal. So if you have him, and you trade for him, and you go win a cup, or you go to the Eastern Conference Finals, or whatever, and like you you sit and you look at that contract, and the Preds are willing to eat two million of that, let's say a quarter of it, you're probably going to think it's worth it. I, I just it, it's some it's something that needs to be it's not talked about enough amongst Preds people because I don't think anyone believes he has any value because of the contract. But I, He's I, coming I, off a 40-goal season. He has value. I, I That's my thing, is that if you can find the <clears throat> find the middle ground on the negotiation, and again, eat a million and a half, two million bucks of it, Get your, it's not a first-round pick, but maybe it's a second-round pick. I To me... Well, what I'm you, curious about is, is a team acquiring Matt Duchesne looking at him as a center or a wing? Because I think he's he's far better as a right winger, but he said he wants to be set, be a center. He said he's a natural centerman. That's his preferred position. So you wonder if 
a team trading for him wants to put him back at center and you and you and you kind of almost wonder if that how how he will play switching positions again i know he did it for what 9 10 11 years however long it was before he came to nashville before yeah. last season but he's clearly better as as a winger so you just kind of wonder if carolina does offer up a second round pick for Matthew Shane, you would think they're going to play him at center, but he's clearly much better on the wing. Well, and well, frankly, part of my sales pitch, if I'm David Poyle is Matthew Shane can do anything you need him to. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's part of the sales pitch. Um, All right. Tanner's, you know, is an interesting one. We'll get to Matias Ekholm in a second. Tanner's, you know, is interesting. I've always kind of thought, you know what? He needs to be a part of the long-term rebuild. He's too talented. He's only played one full season. Um, and I've got a, I've actually got a, a, a couple of different insights from a former Predators employee uh, who I reached out to and I said, what, what, what's the deal with, with Tanner Janot? Why is this? What do you think about him? Basically, this is a, is a hockey person I respect, a friend of mine. And I just said, um, what do you think about Janot and the trade? And he says, here's the quote. I, I don't know that Janot has all that much value around the league. All of his points came in the first half of last season. I think a second round pick is pretty good value, but maybe someone likes him a lot and ponies up a first. And my initial response was they shouldn't trade him for that. Um, but his and then he came back to me and he says, unless they think he is he he is what he's been the last 80 games, he, he might be a depreciating value, an depreciating asset from here. He's got some more comments about cap space in a second that I want to get to, but I I really don't love the idea of trading him, but if you can get a first round pick for Tanner Janot, I you probably need to do it. You you probably need to. I, I'm kind of I've kind of come around on on the idea. Oh, I absolutely think so. If someone's offering you a first round pick for Tanner Janot, whether he's playing like he is now or he's playing the way he was last year, I still think you make that deal. Yeah. I, and, and look, five goals, 14 points in 56 games. Clearly, he's dropped off from where he was last year. Led all rookies in goals with 24, 41 points in 81 games. But how many times have we talked about? The fact that he did nothing the final, what, 25, 28 games of the regular season last year, that's carried over into this year. I like Tanner Janot. You root for the guy. He's fun to watch when he's out there doing what he does, laying big hits, knocking guys around the ice, scoring goals, pissing people off. Like That kind of hockey, that style of hockey is fun to watch. So you root for him to kind of get back to where he was last year when he was doing that stuff. But he's 25, almost 26 now. You just kind of wonder if he peaked last year. And I think to what, what your friend's saying there, I think it's David Poyle, I think in his mind knows what Tanner, what's going on with Tanner Janot. Either David Poyle is like, okay, he's going to turn it around. We're going to hold on to him or, okay, he peaked last year. Let's do what we can and, and maximize his value right now. Like I've heard from a couple of sources that the Rangers really like him. I don't think the Rangers want him as a top six forward. Like the predators were trying to use him as this year. I clearly think he's a bottom six player for them, but when you're, going into the playoffs and you're going to be going against speed teams and power teams and stuff like that. Like Tanner Janot is really a good player to have on your roster. So I don't know yeah. what the, what the return would be, but I, if you're the Rangers and they offer you a second round pick for Tanner Janot, I think you take it. So I honestly, I think second round pick for Janot, second round pick for Duchesne. Okay. We've added a couple of draft picks here. Um, and I think the age is the critical point there. The fact that he's basically 26 years old and his body of work over the last five years has largely been like one half of a great season. And then everything else has been sort of just like solid. And he doesn't yeah. have the end. And, and, and what this is probably unfair because once you get to the league, it's about what you do in the league, but he doesn't have the pedigree, the same pedigree as a Tolvanen or, a, a you know, or, or a Tomasino or, you know, Fiala it doesn't have that same level of pedigree. And I, again, maybe that's because at 26 years old and without consistent enough production, Maybe I'm overvaluing Janot because of the, th- the things you said. Like I love the way he plays. I love the physicality, the the yeah. the fecal agitation. As Chris, it's hard would say. not to root for the guy. He, he's yeah. really fun to watch. But I mean, even if you look at when he played in played in the AHL, so he played for the Chicago Wolves. He had ten goals and twenty one points in thirteen games. You're like, okay, that kind of looks like a little bit of an anomaly. You look at his previous two seasons in the AHL: seven goals, eleven points, thirty seven games. Five goals, 20 points in 57 games. Like it wasn't like he was just blowing, like blowing the doors off the AHL and then came in and then just struggled. Like Tanner Janot, you could argue that the whole rest of his career is the rule. And last year was the exception for the first half, because other than the first half of last year, you really have nothing to point to in his body of work over his entire career to be like, this is a star player. And and this is purely anecdotal. So I want to make sure I clear my throat enough before I say this, but a couple of times against San Jose, I felt like he was trying to make a play that he should know he's not capable of making. And, and like, so, you know, how Ryan Johansson sometimes does that where, 
where Ryan Johansson just knows his hands are so much better than everybody else's and he can generally make plays that everybody else can't make. And then sometimes you're just like, oh, that was that was kind of dumb. You sh- that was risky. You shouldn't have done that. I know why you thought you should you could do it because you think very highly of your abilities and you and you are very talented. But there's there was a couple of passes where you're like, why are you spinning around and throwing it backhand into the pa-? like? I just I'm like, that's not your game, Tanner. You know, so I, th- there's again, maybe that's again, purely anecdotal, just a couple of moments where I just said, man, and maybe that's part of this is that I just have a, a recency bias, maybe that I haven't seen enough from from Janot. But again, at that age, and without the consistent production at every level and without pedigree, I've kind of come around on on getting rid of him, but only if you get something good in return. And and frankly, what what does a contract look like for him long term, like a five year, $10 million deal? Like, I, I mean, he could be an affordable piece and a nice contributing player. But I think we need to forget the idea that he's a top six player. I think he's a third line. I think the herd line is where like, that line last year is like the best that those three players are going to be. <laughs> yeah, and that, I think he's the kind of player. Sense. If you put him in the top six and you expect him to perform up to a top six level, he's not going to do it. If you put him in the bottom yeah. six like he was last year and just let him go do what he does and have fun. Yeah. Maybe he'll surprise you and he'll overproduce a little bit. But I think I think now we we kind of have a good sense for what Tanner Janot is and that he's a bottom six player that has goal scoring upside. But he's he's mostly out there just for the physical part of the game. So it's funny um, where I'm having a conversation with this guy about Tanner Janot and unprompted. One of his text messages is the Tolvanen move still boggles my mind. <laughs> Like, like completely not even Same. a part of the not even a part of the conversation. Um, and, and to your point, um, he, he does go on to say one of the Preds biggest assets at the trade deadline is cap space and retaining salary slots. And he kind of threw out Patrick Kane as like a, a tic-tac-toe trade where like Patrick Kane wants to go to Toronto, but like they don't have the cap space. So he gets traded to Nashville where we keep all the you know, we here in Nashville keep all the salary. Then he gets moved to, to Toronto so that, that like Nashville becomes an arbiter of a salary some way, some way, shape and form where they eat a bunch of salary for a player and then get some assets in return for maybe even both teams. And so that's a sneaky, that's a sneaky way for the Preds to add value. You already mentioned Vingan talked about it with the Craig Smith deal, but there could be another even more creative way to do it, which could be become a third party for two teams that don't have the aligned cap space. Just step in and say, look, we got the space. We can handle this. And I don't know where I don't know wh- where or how they do that, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I mean, that's a possibility. I think you have to pick and choose because you can probably only do that one time because they have roughly like $2 million in cap space right now. So if you're going to do that, I don't know what Patrick Kane's salary cap is. I'm sure it's like 9 million a year. If you do that, you're only going to be able to eat $2 million of that salary. So maybe it's a good way to get an extra third or a fourth or a fifth round draft pick. But if you're, if you're doing a move like that, you're probably only going to be able to do it once because of the cap space. So I would say pick your battles and, and choose wisely when you're doing that because you you obviously want to you want to do it to a team that's de- that's really desperate to get that piece that they can't afford. Well, but one trade do- changes that. Whether it's Duchesne, Niederreiter, Granlin, Ekholm, whatever, one move that is true changes all of that. And all if, of a sudden, if you, you trade Matt Duchesne, that opens up eight million dollars a year. And if, right. if you're eating two million of that, okay, so you get another six million on top of that. Now you have eight million. Maybe you can now do you two can or do three it. moves like that. Yeah, but same thing with Ekholm, six and three quarters. Same thing with Niederreiter at four. Same thing with Granlin at five. Like you, if you make one move, you get you then all of a sudden have a pretty giant. You have an asset that nobody else really has, which would be like six or seven or eight million dollars in cap space, and and that's that's an asset for other teams. So could they become an arbiter of a, of a, a as a third party trade partner? Possible. Which brings us to Ekholm, and. Um, and again, he he's clearly the top trade ship on the team outside of UC Soros. If you're counting him, I don't think they're going to move Soros. And and I frankly, I don't want to see him go, but it's the fastest way to big assets and a bad team and a higher draft pick is to move on from UC Soros. But that's a longer term rebuild that we've explained and talked about many times. But Ekholm is a very, very real possibility to be moved in the next week. Um, it's a big salary chunk uh, that that would be that would open up the Preds for other opportunities like a Craig Smith move, like a Patrick Kane move. But really the value I think here is what's interesting because there's been another trade in the NHL that I saw you tweeting about that really does. Does it set the market for Matias Ekholm in your opinion? Yeah, I think it does. So Washington traded Dmitry Orlov and uh, Garnett Hathaway to Boston and Boston gave up a 2023 first round pick, a 2025 second round pick, a 2024 third round pick and Craig Smith. And they, just wanted to get rid of Craig Smith's salary. 
Um, <laughs> and look, Dmitry Orlov is a, is a fine defenseman. He's he's a good defenseman. He's not on Matias Ekholm's level. So if if Orlov is, is fetching a first, second, and a third round pick, and I said this, Ekholm's got to be worth at least two first round picks. And I saw one of the national insiders, I don't remember who it was, was it Frank Saravalli uh, or Pierre Lebrun? One of those two said that the Predators asking price for Ekholm is two first round picks. So uh, even if you don't get it, even if you get one first round pick and then you get a second round pick and then a high level prospect, I still think that's a fair package for Ekholm. I, I think you got you got to do it, especially with a six point two five million dollars salary for the next three years. Looking at it like this, this team is clearly heading down the steps of a rebuild. Ekholm's thirty two. Is he really going to want to stick around for the next three years? He's going to be thirty five by the time his contract ends. Probably by around the time the team is ready to to compete again. Do the right thing by him. Send him to a team that's going to be that's a contender right now and probably will be for the next couple of years. Get his salary off the books. Bring back some picks and prospects, and and help restart this thing. And I think it's it's the best thing for all parties involved. Yep. No. Uh, no notes. <laughs> and he's an elite. I have no defenseman. notes on that. <laughs> he's an elite defenseman. So I had some people, or I had one person saying that's too high of an ask for Matias Ekholm to get back. He's an elite defenseman in his prime. If you look around the league, I think he has what he's he's in the thirties. I think. Um, as, as in terms of high cap hits, you know how many other defensemen that are not as good as Matias Ekholm that are making nine yeah. plus million dollars a year? Yeah. Like I, I think you jump on it if you're the Predators because that's a that's a really great package to get back. And if you're a contending team, Matias Ekholm is one of those. He is a player that will take you from being a contender to a Stanley Cup favorite. That's how good he yeah. is. He's one of the best penalty killers in the league. It, it'll work out for both sides. Now I I have, I have no notes. I have no follow ups. I think you did, said it perfectly. Um, I don't think Duchesne ever gets moved. I don't think it's possible. I, that's mostly wishful thinking, but I do think you should try. I think Ekholm, if you get a first and a second and then a second for Janot, and then maybe you can get a first or a second for taking on a bunch of salary because you've moved on Ekholm, all of a sudden you're talking about having four or five picks in the top two rounds of a draft that's in your home building. Yeah. So, and, and hope, hope, and I, so here I'll, I'll leave, we'll, we'll end the conversation here. Cause I, I didn't want to go too hard into this and because I just about said, hope, ho- hopefully this team could have a higher draft slot, which would be me hoping for this team to lose a bunch of games. And you've already talked about it. We talked about it last week. The schedule after the trade deadline is very, very difficult. We've already talked about this on this episode, how bad this team has been against good competition, especially in the Western Conference. I For the first time in 20 something years. And I I went to the first game against Florida. I have the puck sitting right there behind me over my right shoulder. I drove back from college to go to the Detroit Red Wings game in game three, the first ever playoff game against the Nashville Predators. I have been a season ticket holder in the past. I, I, I say all of this to say I have never openly rooted against this team. But when they gave up two goals against Vancouver in the final minute, seven seconds and went into overtime against a team that clearly was has has given up on the season. Vancouver has given up on the season and they are doing what the Preds should do, which is acquire future assets for them to choke like that in the final minute seven. I was for the first time in 25 years, I was rooting against the Predators to win a hockey game. I was rooting for Vancouver to score because I thought it would put them out of their misery and make it so obvious to David Poyle that he has to do something. And I don't, I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say it to be inflammatory, I just it's just how I felt watching the game for the first time. And I wanted to add some context to that feeling to suggest like I, I try we're we're pretty objective. I think our jobs in the in the press is to be objective. My job on 1025 was to be objective. My job on this show is to be objective. At, at, at very rarely does it do I feel like a fan anymore. And it felt like I need this team to be put out of its misery against Vancouver. And they of course win and then they dominate San Jose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yep. you're not alone. A there majority of the people that tweet at me have, <laughs> I feel like, shared the same sentiment. And I think it's it's because they don't trust David Poyle to not try to run it back next year and, and point to this year and be like, look, no one believed in us and we still made the playoffs. I think they they want they don't want the team to lose games like in a spiteful way. They want the team to lose games because that's the only thing that's literally going to force change. It's it's just I mean, it's, it's strategic. It's yeah. not it's not spite or evil or. Anything. It is strategic. That's all it is. And look, speaking as a 49ers fan, I was very happy a couple years ago when they were so bad that they got the number two overall pick and drafted Nick Bosa. 
I did not want them to lose games because it pained me as a 49ers fan to root for them to lose games. But it worked out pretty well for them. They got a really good, a really high draft pick. They got a really good player. And now they have a really good team because of, of being bad that year in the pieces they acquired. I think it's the same thing for Predators fans this year. They hope they, they lose games, get a higher draft pick, acquire better players, and make a serious run at this in two to three years. Yep, I think that is about right, um, especially with the great farm system, the draft coming up in your building, and a bunch of potential extra picks and some a, a couple of assets. I also think Niederreiter could be moved as well. And I think a couple goals from him being at 18 goals so far right now is really good for the Predators to be able to say, look, you want to give us a third round pick? We'll give you Nito Niederreiter. Like, I, oh, yeah. I, and at $4 million a year, that's not really breaking yep, the bank for a no, solid, no. solid top six winger. He, he he is. I, I think he's an asset, too. I think you could get something for him. I think you could get something for Ekholm. I think you could move Duchesne if you worked hard enough and were willing to, like, you know, swallow some of the salary. Um, and then I think, you know, so uh, I mean, realistically, of, the Predators could come away from this trade deadline with at least five or six draft picks and maybe three or four prospects. You know, it won't happen, though. <laughs> oh, definitely not. But it's realistic that it could if David yeah. Poyle. If David Poyle was thinking in his right mind, they could realistically stockpile draft capital and get a couple prospects and, and even more restock your farm system. So um, make sure you're reading good journalism, Nashville Scene, Nashville Post. It's all your fault coming out Monday. Are you guys going to have an episode Monday? Is that right? Yes. So okay. it's all your fault on Monday. We're going to try to do regularly scheduled gold standard next week on Wednesday. We tape it normally on Wednesday going up on Thursday. Then we'll have a special edition draft uh, or uh, trade deadline Friday afternoon. 2 p.m. Central Time on Friday. We'll try to give you some reaction to that as well. So stay tuned to both feeds. Subscribe to both shows. We really appreciate it. Of course, Gover does a great job. Uh, you can read all of Michael's work, of course, at the scene in the post. And uh, rate, review, subscribe to all of our shows here at 440 Sports. You can get to me at Twitter, uh, at Braden Gall. If you want to you know, yell at me for my takes, that's fine. Uh, at MG Sports underscore for you. Michael, have a great weekend, my man. Hopefully the weather treats you a little bit better. Um, yeah. I'm, been, I'm just waiting for the congestion to pass because it's miserable. Well, I hate it as well, and I'm like, I'm going to the, I'm going to the soccer match on Saturday, and it's like, ah, it's going to be pouring down rain. I don't know. I got, I got a Billy Strings concert on Saturday night too. I just, I'm like, man, this weather. I'm getting old. I'm, I'm starting to feel my age. <laughs> yes, yeah, me so, too. So everybody out there, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you a bunch next week because a lot of things could be happening over the next seven to ten days for this Nashville Predators franchise. We can hope. A girl can dream, Michael. A girl can dream. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.